paratalk.org, and we should be live on YouTube now. I think that's going to be popping up here in just a moment. Yes, it is. All right. So I'm going to make sure that... Aha. All right. What is... Leave it alone. We've got some very interesting... All right. Why they got to call me now? <laughs> All right. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. My name is Sean Simons, PPG Grandpa. We're streaming live to clearproptv.com, and also the audio is going to paratalk.org. So if you're listening to us, you can always go to Clearprop TV and watch us and join us on YouTube if you want to ask us some questions. Who do we have here now? We have a bunch of people in the chat. Let's see. We got Kevin Can Fly. Welcome, Kevin Can Fly. JP Tulo. Brian uh, Waller. Never trust a skinny chef. Shane. Linda Anderson. And Philip Anthony is our guest today. Today's topic is self training. That's going to be pretty interesting. Has anybody self trained other than Philip? I think. I think I kind of self-trained, but I had a uh, I had an instructor. However, he was two hours away, so every time that I wanted to get instruction, I had to drive there on a weekend that was flyable or or good wind or wind, and uh, you know get instruction. Uh, what I really wanted him for was when I took my first flight, is to have somebody in my ear and say, "All right, you know, pull pull down and." give it throttle and turn right and left. Um, so, so that was pretty much what I had. But for about four months, I was kiting all by myself and trying to learn how to kite. So I don't know. Does, is that considered self-training? What is actual self-training? Is that when you have no instructor at all and you just learn from YouTube um, or what? You know, there's a lot of discussion about that. Um, so what I consider, my opinion on what self-training is, is if – you didn't um, you, you didn't pay for a training program. You didn't go and have somebody hold your hand from step one to step two, zero to hero in the week. Uh, you know, like if you went down to Aviator uh, or any of the other schools around around the country, Aviator's the closest one to me. Um, you know, you pay twenty five hundred dollars, fifteen hundred dollars, seven hundred fifty dollars. You know, depending on who you go with pay a lot of money and you, and you spend about a week uh, training. Uh, mm -hmm. You have an instructor that basically takes you from from nothing to full knowledge. Right. Um, that's, to me, that's trained. Okay. So anything that falls outside of that is the self-trained uh, scope. So yes, you would kind of fall into that self-trained. That's pretty interesting. In my opinion. In my view of that. Yeah, I know that there's a lot of opinions out there as far as that's concerned. I've had people say that, well, if you paid anybody, that's not self-trained. Um, if you have a buddy that flies and you have him in your ear when you're flying or when you take off for your solo, uh, that's not self-training. But, you know, I, I'm not quite sure what self-training means to a lot of people. So if you're in the chat right now and, uh, hey, Crazy Uncle Bob, greetings. Thank you very, very much. We got uh, $5 donation, so we appreciate you, sir. Thank you, thank you. Um, anybody in the chat, what do you think your definition, or what is your definition of self-training? Um, never trust a skinny chef. 
Shane, you are very new to PPG. Yes. You've been flying since November. Uh, you went to an actual school, correct? Yes, I went to Four Winds uh, PPG in uh, Lake uh, in Avon Park. And you trained for how long? Um, I did. I was supposed to do fourteen days um, per requested by my wife, but the last two days of the last, well, the last what, the last two days of the last two weeks, um, the uh, weather turned bad, so we couldn't even kite, and. Uh, I decided to pack up and head to Swanee to do the fly-in, not do the fly-in, to show up and, and actually went home, dropped my gear off so no one could convince me that uh, I should fly. And, uh, yeah, I went out, hung out, met a bunch of people, and uh, started uh, just learning from watching other people. So what do you think, what do you think, uh, what do you think the definition is of uh, self-training? What would you consider I, self-training? I personally thought I knew everything I needed to know by watching hundreds, if not thousands of hours of videos on, on YouTube. I, there's not a video out there that I hadn't seen. Um, the how-tos, what to do, what not to do. Um, now I went to school and found out that I didn't know nothing. Mm -hmm. that's, and I, that's what first I was day, thinking. proved to myself I knew nothing. So. Right. Well, we also got Kevin can fly in here. He's actually instructor, been uh, flying for many, many years, and has been uh, teaching PPG. I think what for about three years. What do you think? What What is your definition of self trained, Kevin? Well, I, I think that I'm right on with what Bill said. If you pay somebody to walk you through the whole process from not knowing how to unpack a wing all the way through to ten flights then that is what I call the definition of training. Self-training, though, on the other hand, has many, many facets. So if you're the person who watched everything from YouTube and then you went and spent you know, six months or a year learning to kite before you ever put a motor on your back and went the long way through, it's still self-training, but at least it's like slow progression. You you learned as much as you could along the way. Then there's the flip side of that where people go and buy a wing, a motor, watch several YouTube videos, head to the park, and then they just send it. So it, it's such a wide spectrum that it, it's really hard to just put one finger on it. But I think that the defining factor is whether you paid to have someone teach you or whether you didn't. I think that's if you want to sum it up simply, that's where I go with it. That, that sounds about right. And we're going to ask uh, Brian Waller real quick, too. We know that he went to Aviator and hung out with Tucker Gott. Uh, but let's go ahead and ask Brian real quick. What do you think the definition is of self-training? Um, free. <laughs> ah. <laughs> no, I mean, you too, man. I, I did a, a V8 time and adjustment on my old truck. I've never done it before. I was watching a YouTube video. I believe... You can learn almost anything on YouTube. But that being said, uh, like Shane said, I watched a bunch of YouTube videos. Um, you know, I have experience flying with my dad fixed wing aircraft. I ran his F-12, Quicksilver, that type of thing. So I've been flying. And you know, I, my buddy said, man, just buy one, watch some YouTube videos, and you can do it. You know, I got faith in you. Really the worst advice that somebody can give you, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I, I went down to uh, 
aviator. I decided I wanted to live, and um, I could afford the you know expensive training. It was a it was supposed to be a ten day class, and that got pushed back to a fourteen day classes uh, right when our classes started. And I was lucky to be in the Tucker Guy giveaway class. I bought the T-shirt. That's it. It's not there. I didn't win the giveaway, <laughs> so I paid for my class. But, uh, you know, the things that they teach you with the instructors that have been there and have seen it with hundreds of students, they know the problems that people normally make and, and exactly how to guide them. Uh, to me, that was invaluable. Um, but I can see where somebody could do it. Um, teach yourself. Obviously, you did, and good for you, man. Um, I think the rumor down there was kind of like, yeah, you could do it, but you're going to end up wasting as much money on damaged equipment as you would have just to get the proper training in the first place. You know, that they, they kept mentioning how people with two weeks of training out of Aviator would show up to fly in and have more knowledge than people that have been flying for a couple of years with no proper training, um, like wing detanglements, some things that we take for granted. I think there's a lot of these training, but it's definitely doable to do on your own. Um, obviously, you proved that. Yeah, um, I, I think that's that is you kind of put it right. That is a rumor uh, about you know damaging more equipment when you're self-trained, and it kind of makes up for the cost. Uh, when you when you self-train, you, you tend to be a little bit more cautious uh, about every step of the way, uh, or at least I was. Um, I didn't damage any equipment. I, I, I actually, I, I kind of lied there. I did have one little crash, uh, but it wasn't a training-related incident. It was a, you know, it could happen to any one of us. Uh, I caught a, a wind shift 180 degrees right on my landing, so I was in mid-flare, pendulum swings down into the ground because the wind shifted and kind of collapsed my wing right as I was landing, and I ate dirt. Um, so I, I broke a prop. Um, what we call getting dumped. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know that wasn't anything that it, that I wasn't prepared for. It wasn't anything that I, I um, the training could have helped me do any differently. It was just it, it happened. Um, so I wouldn't say that that was necessarily a uh, self-training related cost. Um, uh, so for me, you know. I kind of did a hybrid uh, for my self-training. I, I did, I think, what um, Sean said he did. Um, I, I spent a lot of time on YouTube. Uh, when I say a lot of time, probably close to two to three years watching people fly, um, watching people tell you how to fly. Um, I actually went down to Lake Wales for a flight festival when I was back in the RC drones, um, and I watched... Uh, Paradigm team fly and, and do their tricks and do acrobatics right in front of me and that was that right there was when I knew I wanted to fly um, but I don't have a lot of money so I, I knew I had to kind of do it on a um, cheaper route um, one of the other influences for me to take the self-training route is I, I kind of like the satisfaction of teaching myself something You know, I'm I'm self self taught mechanic. I'm you know I uh, I'm a self taught motorcycle mechanic now. I, I just started a new job uh, working on motorcycles for a living. Never touched a motorcycle in my life. Um, 
but I find pride in, in being able to to find these skills and apply them and, and learn them and um, not have somebody necessarily coach me and teach me and, and hand feed me those skills. That's that's kind of there's a sense of pride that comes from learning yourself. So, how, and I will say that there is a lot to be said for the fact of aptitude. So certain people just naturally have more aptitude to certain things than others. So when it comes to the self-training aspect, some people need to be coached through the process. They'll, they'll have to struggle with it for a very long time. Whereas other people, they can watch a simple YouTube video, go out to the park, and within a day on their own can be guided. So it, it's a, a varying scale of personal aptitude, I think. So yeah, Phil, it, it, it took me about 30 minutes to kind of, for it to click, for me to understand the wing. Um, oh, so you can tell that. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, um, so it, it was really, you know, it was really quick process for me. I did, I wouldn't say I mastered the wing in 30 minutes, but I, I kind of, I understood the process really quickly and it, it made sense to me, okay, you know, if I move this way, the wing does this, if, if the wing does this, I need to move. So I kind of, I kind of understood the dance. Um, and I think that's right. a lot of the hard part that people struggle with initially and they need kind of coaching with that because it doesn't make sense. It's not something that's intuitive. It's not something that you can just look at and go, oh, I pull this way, it goes this way. Um, it kind of does the opposite of some things that you wanted to do sometimes uh, if you don't know uh, what to do. Um, one of the things I did was, one of the first things I did was I went out and bought the paramotor Bible, the PPG Bible. Hey, I, I read the whole thing before class. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's one of those things. Um, as as an engineer and as somebody who just loves to study and read things, I didn't just read it once. I read it multiple times until I was able to just flip open the book and, and look at a section and, and almost immediately know where to look to find something. Um, what what kind of engineer are you? Reference. I'm sorry. What kind of engineer are you? Uh, mechanical. Sweet, me too. Cool. So, um, so I, I like to I like to study things, and so that was one of the things I did. Like I said, I spent two years on YouTube. Um, I spent a good amount of time. I don't know how many hours reading this book um, before I actually bought a wing, bought a harness, um, and, and decided to to try kiting. Um, and then I did kiting for six months before I even bought my motor. Um, I didn't want the motor because I would I felt I'd be tempted to, to try to hook up and go fly. Um, so I wanted to make sure that I had really mastered kiting before I even gave it an attempt. Um, so the final step that I actually did is I went and paid uh, an instructor <laughs> uh, for one day um, to basically just be in my ear on my first flight. Um, just in case something went wrong, they would be able to tell me and I would be able to, you know, handle it. I, I do value my life. I have an 11-year-old daughter, so I, I didn't want to risk um, anything by being stupid because, you know, there's a lot of things in the sport that you don't know what you don't know until you somebody teaches you, you know. Uh, and one of the things that I, I wanted to make sure was that I'd come back to the ground um, after my first flight. I figured if I did it once, I could do it again. Um, and 
did it once and uh, you know it was easy once i got up there i was like oh this is you know this is what i thought it was going to be but i had years of preparation for that and i think that's the difference i you know if i had paid for training it would have been maybe a week uh, less than a week of, of me knowing nothing to actually flying. So it took me a lot longer to do so, but. Did you buy your own equipment? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I bought a used wing for $900 mm-hmm. um, off of a, a paramotor pilot. Uh, I've been following the paramotor for cell groups um, and just waited for one to come around in my price range that fit my weight limit was within the the year range that I you know had set for I kind of set some parameters that I of gear that I was looking for I wanted my motor to be as new as possible I didn't I didn't want that to have any basically any hours on it Um, when I bought my motor I bought it used but the pilot had never flown it he did like 15 minutes of break-in and the thrust was too much so he decided to sell it Wow. So I ended up getting a really good deal on my motor, um, and it was brand new. It had never been flown. What, what kind of motor I did you get? I paid 5500 for that. What kind of motor was it? It was a uh, Evo Aviation, the Alpha, hmm. with what? the Moster 185. 185, there you go. Yeah, MY19, though. Not a, not a 20, but <laughs> can, well, can, so- can be cheesy. Tony wants to know what was the first thing that scared you. The first thing that scared me, honestly, was uh, turbulence. Um, my wings—it's a, a MacParrot Eden uh, 26. It's it's one of the older, you know, kind of hybrid, one of the first kind of paragliding slash PPG wings. Um, so it really lets you feel uh, turbulence. It's it's more for paragliding. When I get up there, it's not a reflex, so. You get thrown, you get thrown. When it when it, you feel bumps, it, it feels like you're getting tossed and ragdolled. Even the little tiny little bumps, it, it throws you around. Yeah, yeah there's um, a lot of feedback. So I, it's it's scary. Um, that's the scary part for me. Um, takeoff wasn't really scary for me. Landing, landing was scary the first time. After the first time, it was like, oh, that I, I was worried about that. <laughs> um, to me, like the hardest part was was dealing with the turbulence. Uh, that was the scariest and most difficult part to mentally kind of. And I'm still not over it. I still kind of, when it happens, I'm like, oh crap! I got to hold on to everything, and and it just freaks me out. But so when you first when you first uh, took your first solo, what time of the day was it? Um, you know, it, I think it was around five thirty, six o'clock. It was definitely an evening flight um the winds were pretty calm it was actually a very calm flight my first flight uh it was kind of funny with the instructor um uh, i couldn't get in my seat um the the flap on the dudek power comfort um had folded up underneath and when i when i tried to sit into it i basically folded the, the legs up into themselves and I wasn't able to get into my seat. So I flew around for about 15 minutes hanging, <laughs> hanging from my, uh, from my, uh, groin, but, uh, it, I didn't feel anything. I was having a blast. So. <laughs> <laughs> you probably wanted to, wanted to 
you know, it, it was kind of scary. Um, that was a little scary at first, um, cause then, but then I kind of just dealt with it. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm hanging, I'm flying around, I'm not going anywhere. Let's let's just keep going until you know they tell me to come down. Um, but what it kind of rewind a little bit. My takeoff, uh, I had my my Cena unit on the back of my helmet, which later learned that was a horrible placement for it because as soon as I went to give it gas to take off, my head hit the back frame and disconnected the call with the instructor. And uh, (laughs) so I essentially did my whole takeoff on my own because as soon as I gassed it up, I lost the call. So I'm up in the air on my own. He's down on the ground trying to recall me. I'm not able to let go yet because I'm trying to get in my seat, so I'm not able to reach back and answer the call. So for about 15 minutes, I'm dangling around, flying around in circles, trying to get back in contact with the instructor on the ground. And, uh, Did you have any uh, hand signals worked out at all before the flight? No. I, like I said, it was just a daily kind of thing. I went down there and basically spent the afternoon kiting, waiting for the winds to get right, and then got on the comms with them, and we went flying. <laughs> there wasn't a, um, there was no class. There wasn't, like I said, I, I wanted it to be more of a, a safety kind of thing, more of a safety net, more than an instruction. Um, and so ended up, they ended up calling me back, and I was able to kind of quickly reach back and an- hit the answer button, and they got on the phone phone with me and guided me back down and landed um actually the video of all that my takeoff was beautiful my landing was beautiful i just couldn't get in my seat (laughs) if if you if you have that you can uh you can do a screen share and show us uh what was the most frustrating part of training throughout the whole process for you the most frustrating part honestly um would be kiting um because I'm inland, Florida, um, I don't have the smooth minor winds that some of the beach coastal schools have, or some of the airports have. Um, if you, I don't know if you guys, you know, you train out in the middle of an airport, it's a lot different than if you train out where there's a bunch of trees, because um, you get all the rotor. You, you, it's really hard to keep a wing stable where I where I was kiting, um, and for the longest time, I didn't realize this. Um, so I was basically fighting with my environment of where I was learning. Um, and that's one of the reasons it kind of took me a while to kind of master the wing, master kiting, was because I, it took me a while to realize what rotor was. Um, I didn't have an instructor uh, teaching me, so I had to kind of figure all this stuff out on my own as I went along. Um, and one of the important things for me to learn was rotor because that's that's a big thing when you're flying to, to be able to know that um, so that's one of those things you don't know if you don't know and they don't really teach that on YouTube um, it's not one of those things that's really discussed it is if you look for it but it's not really talked about as a this is the how you fly kind of thing um, or this is how to avoid death <laughs> um, don't fly into rotor because that's a bad bad thing um, so, you know, that's one of those things that you kind of have to have the aptitude to, or, or the, not the aptitude, the, um, the willpower to kind of seek that knowledge out. Um, 
if you, if you don't have the desire to seek that knowledge out, it, it can be very dangerous. So it sounds like what rotor is like the only thing right now that uh, you really weren't able to to learn and understand during your two years of online training. Um, so there was a couple things, um, but mostly rotor um, weather is one of the things that you can you know you kind of have to really seek that information out. It's not something that you know, people just spoon feed to you. Um, it's one of those things where it's that's more of a journey thing unless you pay for it the training. Um, you kind of have to teach yourself the weather. Um, you have to teach yourself uh, aviation, the, the airspace. Um, you have to teach yourself the 103 rules. You have to, I mean, there's a lot to it that YouTube kind of only glosses over and they make it seem so easy. And I think the reason why is a lot of people want to get more people into the sport. So they kind of make it seem like, oh, this is easy. You just tuck some cords and press the gas and go. Um, and and I think uh, there's also there's another product out, out right now. I think the Skycar that actually kind of emphasizes that even more and, and kind of scares me because that could be perceived as oh this this is so simple. You, if you can drive a car, you can you know fly. Well, that's it's not the case. It's there's a lot more to this than than just steering and gas. <laughs> um, and one of the things I want to stress to people is you know self training. Even though I did it, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> it. It's not one of those things that you should really risk your life with. Um, but I, it was one of those things to me that that was part of my adventure. That was part of my journey. I kind of didn't want to do it any other way. Um, initially, actually, I did um, sign up for Aviator. I signed up and was on their wait list for two years. That was why I was waiting. Um, and eventually, I decided to do it myself. I'm happy I did, um, but I kind of wish that, and, and eventually I will, I probably will go get some training, um, not a full-fledged course, but maybe just go see what I don't know um, or what I, what I missed out on. Um, and I'm definitely going to take some SIV. That's that's my next step, SIV course. All right. That's I'm awesome. doing an SIV course uh, August 8th and 9th with Andrew Whoa. Fuller. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I'll, I'll be there with I think, you. Uh, I think that's one of the understated things that, that isn't really talked about as much that needs to be as an SIV. I think that should be part of main instruction, actually, because um, it's one of those things that that's really one of the keys to safety is yeah. knowing like what happens up there and how to handle it and how to not freak out. Because uh, I, I did cave diving. One of the things about that is, is you, you can't panic. If you panic, you die. Um, and I think that applies to this too. This sport, if you panic, you're you're in trouble. Yes. Um, you, you don't do the right things at the right time. You're, you put yourself in a in a deeper position that you can't get out of. Um, and I think it's important for people to, to know that. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Phil, if you're doing like really awesome. A lot of these new guys out there, you know, try to learn everything. Really yeah, I mean, I, I hope. I, I hope. Uh, I learned a lot tonight. We're teaching you about, you know, you did it on your own at first and everything. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of
I don't want people to do it. I, I, I don't want people to do it. Um, but if you think you can do it, if you think that's your, you know, your personality type is the, I, I do everything myself. I've taught myself everything, you know, if that's just who you are, go for it. But if, you know, if it's something that, you know, you, you, you even have to ask, should I do it? You probably shouldn't do it. It's, it's one of the things if you have to ask, it's not for you. I, I don't know if I heard you or not, but when was your solo? Uh, like, like how many months ago? Or yeah, yeah, when, yeah. When <laughs> was I, I, I just started flying this year? Okay, so um, my solo, I think, uh, the date of the video, it was. So, so on, the follow up question on that is: is how many flights do you have, and or hours do you have on your motor? Do you know? So I have about twenty-five hours on my motor, um, and like I said, I bought it with fifteen minutes on it. So I don't have a whole lot of flights. Um, my my job kind of took a dump when the whole coronavirus thing hit. So it was in the middle of coronavirus that I was starting to, to learn to fly. Um, but the date that I actually have for this was uh, March. So March 7th, I think, was my first solo. Awesome. And you said that you have it on YouTube, yeah, right? Yeah, you're new. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm still yeah. still fairly fresh. Um, How do you get more hours on your motor than I do in, in nine months? So. <laughs> you're, you're well, it, it, you know, it's like I said, I I, I got gung ho about it, so I you know, just go uh, every weekend. But we've kind of had some bad weather lately, and I, I haven't had the money really for fuel or anything like that. So I just kind of chilling. Oh, doing speak, adult life things. For speaking the about last couple weeks. Speaking about fuel. Um, what have you learned about as far as fuel? What, what, what is your best oil that you used and your gasoline and, um, how'd you learn your maintenance? So I use, um, I use multiple 800. Um, I haven't done my maintenance yet. Um, that's one of the, I, I just started a new job and wait on, you know, money to kind of roll through. Um, and then I'll, I'll kind of take care of that. Um, but I, I use multiple 800, um, I just use 93 octane pump fuel. I don't, I don't use aviation. Um, the airport that if I was to need to go get aviation fuel every time I fly from my backyard, um, this is kind of far away. Um, my LZ is my backyard, so I don't want to have to drive too far to go get gas. Um, so the nearest airport for me is like an hour away for, for um, aviation fuel, so I'd rather just use pump fuel. Do you use like Lucas stabilizer or anything in the fuel, or do you just use regular straight pump fuel and multiple? I just use regular straight pump and multiple. Um, I don't store it long. Um, like right now, I've actually got stuff in there that I need to kind of get out of there and clean out. Um, but if I'm going into storage, I kind of run some seafoam through the motor. Um, I did that with my dirt bikes. Um, it's just it's good practice to keep the, the carburetor clean. You just run it through the carburetor a little bit. I put sea foam in. I put sea foam in every time I go fly. Yeah, yeah it's really good stuff. Um, but I, I, like I said, I don't really store the gas very long um, because 93 does kind of break down when you mix it with oil. Um, the, the oil and 93 that they kind of work against each other and they don't really stay mixed and they kind of break down. Um, so it's not good to keep it too long. Unless you do like what you said, put a stabilizer in it. Ethanol free. I'm a cheap bastard, so I just go to <laughs> do everything as cheap and simple as possible. Do you use yeah, ethanol free or? 
ethanol. I just found that one of those $15 bottles of Lucas fuel stabilizer, it lasts me for quite a long time, but I'm fortunate right around the corner from me is a gas pump with non-ethanol, so I just put so they have non-ethanol uh, pumps here. I just I didn't know that, what the deal with that was. I didn't know. So the, the biggest thing about ethanol fuel, non-ethanol fuel, is the alcohol content in the fuel will actually soften the membrane within the carburetor. And then it, it doesn't happen extremely quickly, but over time the membrane starts to become soft and then it basically quit pumping fuel. Same thing happens like, in my WRX. Yeah. <laughs> if I run then, if I run ethanol. <laughs> exactly. And then it, you know, and then all the seals and everything start leaking everything. The gotcha. fuel lines don't like it. So it just it, it, in essence, if, if you have the ability to run non ethanol, that's the best for it. The, uh, pump gas is not bad like if you're go out for a weekend and that's what's available to you it's not necessarily going to hurt the motor but that's why i keep around a little bottle of uh, stabilizers mm -hmm. if, you know if, if i go out to the coast and fly the coast and i go oh shoot i didn't bring enough gas with me because i actually didn't fly a whole lot more than i planned on then i'll throw you know i, I think it's like 10 milliliters per gallon so it's like basically nothing but it just stabilizes, it stabilizes out the alcohol content so it doesn't soften up the membranes of the carburetor. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Same reason with my, my car, if I, if I run uh, ethanol in it. But a lot of people, they, they, they have a misconception in their mind about running avgas, and they think that the avgas is going to be somehow better. The reason why it's not is because there's lead content. So when you run the lead content through a two-stroke, the two-stroke is so inefficient when it comes to its fuel burn process that it leaves the lead deposits behind on the head. So if you ever watched the Tucker video when he did the Icarus race, when he got done and he pulled his head off, it was coated in what looked like sulfur. That sulfur is all the unburned lead deposits that build up in the head. Yeah. And air, an airplane motor, as it goes to altitude, there's a mixture control. So they're able to lean the motor out and they yep. don't have the fuel content, which is what we can't do. And so that's why running avgas is not the best thing possible. Right. If you wanted to run high performance, then I, you know, then you go get the freaking with the sixty dollars for five gallons of BTC twelve. <laughs> right. Right. And unless you're sponsored, it's really not justified at all. You know why they put lead in gasoline in the first place? It's actually a lubricant. Yeah, lubrication and cooling. Yeah. So it's it's not bad. I, I I've only flown with Avgas once, and it was the best flight I ever had. I mean, as far as you know, uh, good good pressure, good control, um, the the best RPMs I had, the best power. So when I went back to to ninety one non ethanol, I, I could tell a difference. Well, what people don't realize about fuel content is there's no more or no less combustion energy between 87 octane and 91 octane or even 110 octane the, the stored energy the stored yeah exactly the stored energy in fuel is is a given stored energy and actually 87 octane is going to give you more potential energy because it burns faster so when you use a higher octane fuel you get a higher combustion resistance so as it burns through the cylinder, you get a longer burn duration, which in essence gives you more torque. 
So instead of having more horsepower, the more torque makes your motor feel more linear. So it gives you a lot smoother throttle response. And those it's also better for the engine the higher the octane because you have less less chance of it knocking, less chance of detonation. Exactly. Uh, I have never run anything but aviation fuel and uh, red armor. Uh, what is it? Echo red armor. Yeah, my so, uh, one of my friends. He, he's a pilot, local pilot. He does the same thing: uh, aviation fuel and echo, the red echo. Yeah. Yep. Sure, after I watched. After I watched The God Must Be Crazy, I just switched to pure scotch. It runs like a <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that in a long time. Lordy heaven. So, hey, Philip, so what, are, what, what part of Florida are you in, man? Uh, I'm up in Jacksonville. Jacksonville, okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm on the I'm east coast. Southeast Florida of Alabama. I'm hoping somebody's supposed to find a flyway. Oh, man. No. I do have family up by Milton, though, up in uh, Pensacola. Okay. Cool, man. Right oh, there occasionally. Yeah. 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 Phil, so Phil, I'm in, in. I'm in Central Florida, on the uh, East Coast. Yeah. Okay. Where? Uh, what, what city? Melbourne. Oh, nice. Nice. Cool. About three hours south of I was told that north part of Florida isn't technically Florida. It's something else. It, we kind of do separate ourselves because when we hear the, the Florida man stories, we're always like, oh, there it goes again. And we always know where it is, too. It's usually south of central Florida. <laughs> like right around Melbourne? Uh, <laughs> a little bit further south. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's usually, yeah, it's usually yeah. about Palm Bay, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. Those areas are really rough. Yep. I have, I have a question. Since we've been talking about the... Um, the uh, two-stroke oil. Let's go through everybody that flies PBG. Let us know what you use as a two-stroke and if you would recommend or want to go something different. Um, I started off with the K2 and then I went to Sabre and the difference was night and day as far as the, uh, the amount of carbon left on the head. Uh, now when I went to Sabre, every time I pull the head to you know scrub it off and you know make it look pretty, there's just nothing there. What are you running the mixture? 51. 50 to 1 with Sabre? Yes. So Sabre is a pretty clean burning oil. It's a little bit ashy on the exhaust side, but overall it's not too bad. What, what are you using, Kevin? I use cloth super technically. Have you used Sabre before? Uh, only in uh, different like weed whackers and things like that. I've never used it in anything that would Really? See, I heard that um, Sabre was really good for performance, like uh, in the paramotors. Uh, I I honestly, I, I ran it in my boat for a little while, and I didn't have any issues with it. And when I ran it in my boat, I had a, a was it 125 horsepower Johnson outboard four-cylinder. And it, it ran fine. I didn't have any issues. But when I grew up racing Supercross, I was sponsored by Klotz. Uh, they, they were one of the oil sponsors for our team. And in all of the races that I rode, in all of the practices that I rode, in all of the desert trips that I took, I never once had a bike fail on me due to lubrication. So I always had epic faith and trust in it. So when I got my paramotor, I, I knew that it had to be rebuilt at some future point. And so I didn't care who had run what in it before. I just went straight to the clots and ran it until I 
to have the top end kill itself. I did my rebuild, and ever since my rebuild, I've had absolutely no issues. The thing runs fantastic, so I still stand by it. Yeah, interesting. And Philip, what do you say that you use as far as uh, your two-stroke? I'm sorry. Philip, what do you oh, use for so your two-stroke? I use multiple eight hundred. Okay. And Brian, and, and, and Brian, what do you use? <clears throat> yeah, the same thing. The mobile um, 800 aviator. Of course, my motor is still in a warranty. Um, I bought it new through Aviator, and uh, they told me that if you don't run multiple through it and you have a manufacturing, you know, issue with it, um, if they take it apart, if you ran any other kind of oil through it, they would be able to sell it by the deposit. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, better Ozzy won't, won't honor the warranty, apparently. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure that's true. Obviously, that's why I'm running it. But we've always run aviation fuel. I wouldn't call it aviation fuel. Ethanol free fuel from the pump. Um, we had a source where we always got 93 um, octane ethanol free. We lost that, but now we, we get a source where we get 90. And I was told that's what the manufacturer recommended was 90 octane. Um, so but if you read the if you read the updated release from Viterazzi, what, what they actually recommend is if you're doing a lot of high altitude climbing, long duration, high RPM runs to run low tool 800. But if you're a cross country pilot that flies primarily in the low to mid range RPMs, to actually use low tool 710. Right. Because the, the yeah, 710. And the biggest difference between the two of them, and what a lot of people don't realize, is the, it's the flash point. It's, it's where the oil becomes vapor. So, like with, with my Klotz oil, if you compare it to the Motul 800, they both have an above 500 flash point. Whereas if you compare it to, like, say, the, the Dominator or the Sabre oils, their flash points are at, like, the high threes and low 400 degree flash points. Just so, made for weed whackers and lawnmowers, not... It, Exactly. So 150 if, plus CC motors. <laughs> yeah. So if you're, you know, and, and, and that's, and you know, and that's another big component to the duration of how your motor lasts. You know, if you're a guy that's flying, say like a 26 or 28 meter wing, and you generally cruise right around, say about 3,000 to 4,000 RPMs, and that's what you do nine tens out of 10 flights. And the only time you see wide open is when you're getting off the ground or trying to climb up over something. You're, you probably aren't risking anything by running that kind of oil. But if you constantly are making runs to altitude to do wingovers, or if you're constantly doing something that's, you know, running your motor hard for long durations, if you're one of those guys that likes to go to high altitude, something like that, then running an oil with a higher flash point is going to give your crank. Because a lot of people fail to understand that the oil does very little for the the piston doesn't necessarily care about the oil as much as the bottom end does. So if you're flashing the oil and turning it into vapor as it goes through the crank, then it's not lubrication. It's not a liquid, it's a vapor. So the higher flash point keeps that oil as a liquid as it hits the moving the moving uh, components. Interesting. So that's Kevin, I do have a, Kevin, I do have a question for you, if you could answer. Uh, I've been told if you run out gas, Often, if you run a, a uh, if you run pump gas afterwards, they're able to take all take away all the lead deposits. Um, I don't know that that would be true. I, I would think that to be more of a wives' tale. But like Sean does, 
I think if you were to say run Avgas for a weekend or maybe a, a you know a duration, and then run some sea foam or some kind of cleansing agent through with your two stroke, it might help to keep that out. Or if you were to run the sea foam beforehand and then have kind of like that built up viscous layer in the cylinder, it might help keep it from depositing as well. But I, I haven't seen evidence, you know, that Shell gasoline or Chevron with Tecron or any one of those fancy go gitches does anything special as far as cleaning the head of the cylinder. Speaking of special, we got a guest on the uh, the chat there, Craig Taylor from uh, Wicked Wings Logo. If you guys like this, uh, my background, that, that uh, flag right there, and the uh, cancer ribbon that's on the center of my wing, that man right there made it. He can, he can make you Taylor. Stuff. What's so up, I'd like Craig? to take this opportunity to say, Craig Taylor has now just become the sponsor of the show and is going to be sending everyone on the panel <laughs> a nice new wing logo. Thanks, All right. I, I, I want a wing. wing. Thanks. I've been seeing a wing for a long time. Oh, I want the wing? Perfect. And a wing. No, hey, guys, I, I got to get going. I appreciate you guys having me on, though. Hey, thanks for taking the time. We really appreciate it, though. Yeah. Yeah. Off, just, just one last question, man. Yeah, what's up? If you had it all to do over with again and money wasn't an issue, don't say money wasn't an issue, would, would you still self-train? I mean, if money was tight... Me personally, yes. I Like I said, initially it was a money issue, um, and, then it, and then it became a, a, an adventure, um, an adventure that I enjoyed very much. But that, that's my personality type. I, I do that for a lot of things. Um, I'm the same way. <laughs> I can't. You can't. I, I don't. I don't take my car to a mechanic. I, you know, why do something? Why pay somebody else to do something I can do myself? Um, is kind of the way my my whole life has been lived um, with everything. Um, so that that was it. That was good, Kermit man. I, I wish you the best of luck, and uh, I hope you have a lot of luck in your future. Yeah, thank, thank you, you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for coming, man. Guys. Well, uh, that was Phil Anthony, and uh, he self-trained, but he had uh, an instructor in his ear on his solo. So we're still up in the air, pardon the pun, about what is self-training. Um, I still don't know, but we have Tommy Mosley in here also. He, he came in, JP Tulo. I guess we can ask uh, JP real quick. Um, and also Linda, because we didn't ask Linda yet. Uh, JP, what is your definition of uh, self-training? Okay. There's this video I've been trying to find the entire show while I'm lurking here in the background of this guy. If anybody knows what I'm talking about, please speak up because I can't find it now. But it's this guy uh, who goes out and buys a Blackhawk, whatever, you know, does no research whatsoever. Um, it's called I Learned to Fly from YouTube. Yeah. What, you already know. You already know. <laughs> yeah, I remember. <laughs> okay. I'm an instructor. It's my job to be able to know. Exactly yeah. what he was talking about. <laughs> okay, well, he goes out there, he gets a black cock, right? And has his harness rigged up completely wrong. He's the like, net I got is hanging off the cage. Yeah, yeah, the net is hanging off the cage, so he zip ties into the frame. He's got straps hanging all over. The straps go together right here, but he goes... No, I think I'll just leave him unstrapped because why not, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows the difference? <laughs> right. And, 
there's a guy that knows how to fly there, and he's like, man, if I don't do something, this guy's obviously going to kill himself. Then so, that's the guy making the video, and he catches so much crap in the comments for that, for helping him. But, you know, I think he was caught between a rock and a hard place because he even mentions it. Like, if you don't help people like this, they're going to do it anyways. And, you know, it's so dangerous. And I think that right there is the definition of the self-trained, you know, stigma that we all look at and get scared and we, we don't want to be defined like that. You know, I think our guest there was the exact opposite. I think he researched the crap out of, uh, you know, the sport and did it the right way. I think it can be done, you know, in a right way, you know. And uh, well, Like I tell like I tell people that come out to, to come and, you know, see what training is about. You know, they, they might have a wing and they go to the park and, and they've, they've tried to kite several times. And it's funny that they can understand the gross idea of what they're trying to do, but it's the finesse. They don't understand that, you know, twitching your wrist just two or three centimeters is the difference between having the wing take you off of your feet or controlling it up to a nice, happy, controllable reverse launch. Or when you are moving forward, you know, when you hear them go, well, what am I supposed to be feeling for? And it's like, well, if I have to explain that to you, that's why you should be having training. Yeah. Because it's the finesse. I mean, the, the, the big the big part of this is easy. There's bring the wing, it goes downwind of you, pull on the strings until the thing goes into the sky and do the best you can to sort it out, right? It's, it's the finesse of understanding this particular wing likes to come up from just the center A's, not all of the A's. Or this particular wing likes to have its wingtips roll in on you. So when you build your wall, you need to make it really high so that way you hold the wing all the way open. I mean, it, there's just little idiosyncrasies between the different types of wings and then different personalities. Like you watch people try to do a reverse launch, but they do it from an athletic stance. And one hip is cocked back, and then they go, well, I don't understand why the wing always goes up and goes to the left every time. And you go, well, you're, you know, I, I can explain to you nine times that your hips have to be square to the wing, but you always want to start in an athletic stance, which is always going to make it wrong. And no matter how many times I tell you, you do it anyway. So you'll have to learn. You'll have to sit there and beat the wing up 900 times and reset yourself 900 times until it finally slams you in the brain that you have to square yourself up. I mean, it's it's that finesse that you can tell someone. I can make a video that tells people how to put their hands on the risers. I can make a video that tells people how to stand and how to use their hips to wing shift. And I can sit there and do it with a student. I can physically put my hands on the lines and show them. And some people, they just snap and they go, oh, I got that, and they go do it, no problem. And other people, spend a whole day and at the end of the day they turn around and they tell you oh i tried different things because i tried to get creative and you go there's no creative in this there's there's a way to do it that works for everyone there's it's not my way it's not like i'm sitting here telling you i'm special this is the way that works if you follow along with the jane fonda seven minute abs workout then you're going to have seven minute abs come on man like Quit trying to fight it. It is what it is. And if you're not satisfied, I'll send you the eight minute for free. Oh my god. And I mean seriously, it's it, like it, it's the finesse that goes into it that makes it 
what what it is. You know, when you see a pilot make a make a launch or a landing look easy, it's not because the landing is difficult or is easy. It's just that they can finesse the glider into the ground and make that landing look gentle as could be, especially in some conditions that might scare some people. Or they can launch the wing, take off, and go 30 degrees crosswind and get up out of some place that a beginner is going to go, I don't even know how he did it. And this all comes down to the finesse and the skills because none of it is immediate. Everything is built up and everything's over time. And the hard part is you don't ever get that depth from watching a video. Nobody ever turns around and says, well, this video took me 19 weeks and 67 shots and 45 freaking scored up lines in a prop before I finally got it all sorted out. They just show you an edited clip that makes them look like they learned something. And you don't really get to see all of that. And so when you go self-train, you either go when the wind is too strong and it scares you, or you go when the wind is wrong and there's no wind to really help you learn anything, or you get the wrong wind and it doesn't really help you learn anything, or you get an old motor that is really not good to be flying or in any shape to be called safe, and then you turn around and you're upset because you didn't know the difference because you were excited to buy stuff, and now you spent what little money you had on some gear that isn't even flyable at this point, and now you're defeated. So I, I the, think that's the self-training route. Sorry, go ahead. That was my main thing, man, that I didn't get through with, with self-training versus getting an actual class. I, I didn't know which gear I needed. I was like, you know, I don't know what exactly which motor I need, what type of wing. I know I want a safe wing, but, you know, I just researched. I'm like, okay, I can buy an A-rated wing, this type or another. Uh, is that really the wing that I want to start out on? You know, that's that's probably what I got most out of from, from my training. You know, just having somebody there to tell me these little hand movements. Uh, well, so, like from an instructor me. standpoint, I can't tell you how many students come to me and then they say, "Oh, well, you know, I've been watching Tucker Got videos, or I've been watching, you know, um, the freaking Graham's videos, or Anthony Bella's videos, or you know, Tom Kubot, some somebody who's you know doing." barrel rolls and wing overs and flying a 16 or an 18 meter wing and then the first thing they're asking is well you know I watched Matt Minier do barrel rolls on a 16 meter so that means I'd be okay on a 21 right and you're like um you don't even have a concept it's like you're like I feel like it's like a, a parent it's like you're the, the, the 15 year old or 16 year old coming to me saying dad I'm ready to drive and you go okay you got your learner's permit we're ready to send you out there around the world <laughs> And the first thing they say is, I want that brand new Corvette RS Camaro freaking tire slayer, whatever. And you're like, ah, ah, ah. you're, you're, you're going to get Grandma's Buick. And, yep. and I guess you're going to bump a curb or two before you get it figured out. And if you bump a curb in, a, in that beautiful Corvette, it's going to be ruined. If you bump a curb in the Buick, you're just going to wreck the curb. You're not even going to hurt the Buick. But it's that progression, you know, it's like some guys, they just, they, they don't understand that, that it's not a bad thing to start out in. I mean, I, I don't know any other way to put it. It's, it, it's actually very humbling to, you know, to start something that's a lifelong marathon and, and understand that you're at the beginning of something that it, it's not just a hobby, you know, it's like we all 
start this with an understanding that there's more to it. But as yeah. we learn more to it, we learn that there's so much more to it. And it doesn't become a hobby as much as it becomes a lifestyle. On Saturday at a barbecue, you're looking at the clouds going, wow, these kind of clouds means that these are thermals and these thermals go to this height. And the width versus the height means the way that the clouds build or the way that the clouds break apart means, and you just start seeing the world in such a different point of view. And I tell people, I say, you know, it's like everyone looks at me and they say, I'm the weird one. And I say, well, I'm not weird. I'm extraordinary. Because I do extraordinary things. I'm, I, you know, people around me, they, they, they are ordinary. They, they mow lawns. They go to work. They do normal things. This is what, you know, quote, normal people do. And I'm the weird one in the corner. I talk about flying. I see the world in a physics basis. And, and I do extraordinary things. So from my standpoint, I'm not the weird one. I'm just the extraordinary one who goes and does extraordinary things. Oh, there you go. All right, Kevin. Can't Thank imagine. you for letting me know that. <laughs> As can't imagine what right. a rush training anyways. I mean, you you know, if, if you get into flying, you're, you're, for me, it was thinking, I have the rest of my life to do this. I'd like to spend the rest of my life doing it. I, I don't want to jump on a wing too small and get hurt in the career or tear myself out of the sport. Or run into a bale of hay, break a leg, and make a spin of song. There you go. Yeah. Tell me nothing about bales of hay, man. <laughs> don't, don't be Brian. Don't be Brian. No. I don't know if you guys get this, but pretty much every time I pull up to a gas station or a, a convenience store or whatever, I always get the standard questions. How much does it cost? Does it take a license? And then the grand one, how dangerous is it? And the way I like to compare it to people, I say, if you've ever ridden a motorcycle down the street, whether it be a Harley or a street bike, it doesn't matter. But if you were the only person on the road, take away all the cars, take away all the, the, the herds of elk and deer and dogs and everything else that could run out in front of you and cause you to wipe out, and it was just you and the bike in the road, how safe would you? It would come down to you, right, as a rider. If you come up to corners, if, if you're a cautious rider and you go slow and you take the corners cautiously, you probably won't crash. But if you're adventurous and you come through the corners hot and fast, you might lose a front wheel and end up in a guardrail. It's, it's the same safety factor when it comes to flying. We can fly reserved and take less chances and always operate on the side of caution and safety, or we can shoot the gap, wind up a little left, rip off a foot, and learn lessons from it. So, I mean, there's both sides to it. But, I mean, it wasn't like you had a mechanical failure that took you out. It was just a commitment and an accident and then the learning lesson where you say, well, I, you know, hopefully I'll never do that again because I learned getting low sucks. And if you're going to commit to it, you better make it right, right? And I, I don't mean to use it as a bad analogy. It's just Brian's on the show. He's right here. He can speak for himself. It's just we learn from mistakes. And as it was put one time, a wise man learns from his mistakes. A wiser man learns from others' mistakes. Yeah. So we always want to use somebody who's been there ahead of us as that word of wisdom to tell us where we're going wrong or where the pitfalls are. Well, 
I'm surprised I haven't pulled a Brian yet. I'm just saying. I'm surprised the people on the ATV didn't report you to the FAA for causing them to get in the wheelie three people on a quad accident. They threw themselves off there. I just happened to be. It's a fisheye camera, so it looks a little odd, but it looks like I was over there, but I wasn't. It looks a little fishy. You did it on purpose. I know it. How can I make three guys fall off the back of a freaking four wheeler? Okay, Shane, apparently I, I, didn't, I didn't know about this one. Shane, Shane, you got a story to tell because I don't know this one. What happened? These three guys were cutting across the compound, and two of them were sitting, I guess, one was sitting on one side of the back of the four-wheeler, the other one was sitting on the other side. So they were kind of like the dude driving in the center, and then the two so were kind of like... It's a UTV-style four-wheeler, so it has the big metal rack over back in the front. So you got two guys that are hanging out on the back rack and then one guy sitting on the seat in the middle. Okay. So I come scooting in behind them and they go down this ditch and as they come up the other side the guy that's driving just punches the throttle and it just stands straight up and dumps <laughs> the two guys off the bat. And just as I go screaming by you see the guy the driver hanging on the handlebars looking up at me like oh you saw that? That sucks. <laughs> That's the cooler, the cooler goes. Oh my god! It's hilarious. It's hilarious. But you see that kind of stuff on compound happen all the time. Oh man, hold on. I mean, it's Florida, so. Yeah, exactly. Right. All right. Um, I think there's just two more people that we have asked what they think uh, self-training is. So, Linda, what is your definition of self-training? Yeah, what is the definition of self-training to you? Is it is it is it someone that what's that? No, no, the I think crazy. Is crazy. It, yeah, it's crazy. Personally, no, I would not try to do the self-training. No. I, I can see Linda. I can see Linda with her face in her palms. She's going that way, <laughs> just ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, you know. I would consider a wild amount of money that 
learning news, but according to him, he sold it. So congratulations on seven hundred dollars. Yeah. David. 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 Yeah. David. David. He sold it. He just posted the chat. He says, "I just sold my freshman." Holy. Congratulations, sir. Congratulations. That that is awesome. Hopefully, it was back to Kurt. He can freaking try to swindle. (laughs) (laughs) Are you calling him a swindler? Oh, I make I make no claims. I know the man personally, none at all. machine i was i was surprised i actually thought it had more hours on it than it did or he's telling a fib one or the other but either way it's a really nice clean <laughs> setup so it's good for him happy very happy i see that run uh, personally at the uh, swanee flying they were drag racing it i mean the thing sucks so bad it takes two propellers to get it going <laughs> you think you need a ramp that money flying i did have oh, yeah i so did have a big they did, a, they did track drag races down the runway. Dave got that thing ripping like 45, 50 miles an hour and hit a little sod rise. And <laughs> I think I think that whole track got off the ground without a wing for a minute. Yeah, there was a there was a bunny hop that he did. I I was there, stood right there and watched it. And now that's um, pretty sweet. Real real, real quick, um, just in case you didn't know, Tommy Mosley, he is a guy that. Um, uh, that's around here, and we go fly a lot. Matter of fact, uh, one of the things that we want to do probably next weekend is to go fly someplace, land, grab a bite, fly back, and eat it, kind of like Tucker did, which is why probably most of us is here, because we saw him fly to McDonald's, and uh, we haven't done that yet. But anyway, Tommy, real quick, uh, what do you think is the definition of self-training? Is it you know, just learning everything from the internet, or is it having like your friend helping you, or what? What is your definition of self-training? I, I mean, I kind of think that I, I, I have an instructor. I have a very good instructor, but for the most part, you know, he is. He'd tell me, "All right, work on this. Go kite. Come back." It was nice to have somebody. I can't imagine taking my first flight without a training bill. I think that takeoffs and landings were very beneficial to, to know what it was going to feel like to land, how much flare I needed. And I can't imagine being on a train without an instructor telling me, hey, uh, the winds are a little crazy and you're going to break your back if you take a collapse over this. It's too much. Or, hey, this is the perfect amount of weight for a training wheel. You know, without having somebody there that at least has some experience, for me it wasn't much of an option. I've got, I've got people that rely on me. i got, you know, Bills to pay, mouths to feed. So right. for me, you know, I think self-training was was out of the question for me. Having somebody there that knows what they're talking about, finding the gear that I needed for the things I wanted to do. You know, I'd be out there, like Kevin said, with a 16-meter snake. You know, in first first time I get off the ground, just be scared to death. Right. You know, thinking that's what I want whenever it's a 16-year-old kid not realizing he's about to destroy himself. Exactly. 
wasn't for me at all. I needed I needed somebody there saying, "Hey, this is safe. Hey, this is this is the perfect win for this." I think that self training well, is, is only I'll for be the first one. Of I'll be the first one to admit I I did the grand old I'm young, stupid. I I race supercross and I fly dirt bikes, so I'm big and brave and I can do anything I want. And I jumped on the interwebs back before there was interwebs. And I got a super stupid dirt cheap wing and a dirt cheap harness. And when I mean dirt cheap, I mean I got them both together for like 250 bucks. And I went to the, yeah. And I went because I didn't know any different. Honestly, I like you know what, what, what do you, how do how do you know that what you got was crap if you didn't know the difference, right? Right. So I went to the park, and there at the time there was no YouTube or anything. It was just take it out there and go mess with it. So I drug that thing around in the grass for a whole year and a half or so and then right behind my house was a flying site down in california so we would go take the dirt bikes and i'd have my buddy ride me up on the back of his dirt bike or on the back of his quad and then we'd unpack the wing and unpack the harness lay it all out and then i'd run off the side of the hill and fly down to the bottom basically do sled rides and then he'd pick me up on the quad and ride me back up to the top and he thought it was like the coolest thing to watch me do these sled rides. He thought I was crazy until, you know, we got to the point where I was going off the top of the hill, the very top. And we're talking, it's, it's like a 3000 foot hill. And so, you know, sled rides turned into, you, eventually you either catch lift or catch thermals. It just happens. And then you stay up. And when you start staying up, it's like, you start laughing. You're like, I'm doing it, Peter. <laughs> I'm <thinking laughs> my happy thoughts. This is great. You know, no reserve sketchy wing just totally as unsafe as possible and because it was an actual flying site i had got to know some of the guys in the area and a few of them had taken a liking to me i guess you'd say and so one guy came over to me one day and he kind of threw his arm over my shoulder and he said kev um you know we all like you <laughs> and and we want to keep we want to keep liking you <laughs> and so they, they really encouraged me to spend the money and go and get not only a proper wing and harness, but actually to learn those those intermediate gaps that I was falling apart with. Because I just, like you said, I didn't know, you know, that I didn't have the skills to go launch at 2.30 in the afternoon in the California desert. I just thought, hey, the wind is 15 miles an hour. It's perfect. Let's go. You know, I'm not realizing that the thermals that day were going to be between seven and twelve meters a second. Uh -oh. uh -oh. Now we, we just got demonetized. We just got demonetized. I sure hope he has pants on. <laughs> Never mind that. <laughs> don't you know? Don't you know that they're going to have a special one for you right now, Dave? You're holding it in your hand. Look at it. Look at the label. Look at the label and follow along. Because you deserve what every individual should experience regularly. <laughs> and, and, it, and listen, if Dave stands up, you're going to see. This is episode, this is episode 20, this is episode 22. This is episode 22. I want to congratulate you. 
started and get this thing rolling. It's, as you know, it's, it's tough to do it and to keep it going. I love what I just heard as far as, like, self-training. You don't know what you don't know, right? right? And it's better to have somebody here. The guy that I sold this fresh breeze to, he uh, is a vet. He's an older gentleman. He's flown Quicksilvers. So he knows how to fly, and I felt real comfortable about that. He's still going to get trained on how to fly this thing, and I gave him some advice, and so I'm, I'm feeling good about that. But uh, that's good to see you guys. I'm so glad that this is show tonight. Look at you just showing up in the hot tub. All right. Next but week, we're all going to have to be in the tub. So wrong. So wrong. <laughs> Son, we've never talked, John. What's up, Dave? The the guest already the guest already left. The guest left. We are we're, we we are actually going to be going to the hour long is all it is. All right, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Welcome, welcome. All right, so so everyone that's out there right now, thank you all for watching. Uh, we are actually now officially in the after show. You're more than welcome to continue watching. Uh, we we uh, we put the showroom uh, number and password in the chat. So if you want to come and join us and just chat with us, you're more than welcome. Come on in. And y'all, thank you for watching. We appreciate you. Jump. jump on in. Jump on so, in. John, I talked to Andrew and Leah today, man. It seems like every class is getting bigger and bigger, dude. You're gonna have to go back and do some infinite tumbles or something. We're to we're keep up with the rate that they're training these kids. These we're, people. we're going. He's, Shane, he's going back uh, August eighth uh, and ninth. Yeah, you? Shane. Really? Shane and I are going back. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. There you go. We wish that. Uh, yeah. Wish that um, I was I'm down there with you, Dave. That would have been oh, cool. I'm hoping to get back sometime this year too, because I, I gotta go back down there. I'm gonna get some uh, tandem exemptions with Travis, so I may have to go back down to Lake Wales anyways. There you go. That's cool. I cool. Dave, I just I honestly could sit down, not in the hot tub with you right now, but <laughs> sit down and have a beer and, so, and just talk about this, this class. Oh, so man. that that leads me to a quick question, though. Dave, I'm not wearing any panties. <laughs> <laughs> this has turned into a different show. Hey, Brian, Hi. what are you doing? When, uh, I, 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 seriously, I'm used to this time. When you go to do your, your tandem <laughs> exemption, are you going to go do tandem strike or are you going to go do tandem foot? Tandem strike. Okay. Yeah. So does that mean that you're selling the fresh breeze so that way you can get a tandem strike? So that's exactly what I did. I sold the fresh breeze tonight and I'm planning on ordering something here very soon and then once <laughs> sorry are you, then, are you uh, gonna get a flash maybe maybe i'll say maybe, maybe. yeah you are okay we already talked about it the other night Wow. And I'll just have one. And JP's in line for it. 
Are you just going to have the, the tandem track? Is that your plan? I, well, the idea is that the motor I get is going to be able to do foot launch, and then it can attach to the tandem. So I'm, oh, looking, at the, I'm looking at the rider with the Moster 185, and then getting the Flash Cruiser with the tandem set up. So I'll be able to launch up to 210-pound passenger with me, which I'm, is my I'm whole surprised. family. And I'm surprised that Dave hasn't talked you into a black bull. Well, I've already got my mind made up. And then, so I'd be able to take up uh, Skitty Chef Sane. And, uh, oh, you said two, you said two ah. ten. I, I, I got loose about 20 pounds. <laughs> but, uh, we should keep a backup, Dave. Plus, what's, what's Brennan going to fly? I don't want to keep a backup because, no. because I want, look, that Maverick Alameda is going to stop quick. And, to, you know, whoever wants it, um, it's a, it's a great, it's a great, Paramotor, it's a great motor on it with the Adam 80. Brennan doesn't need to play. Brennan, my son is um, going right. into his senior year. Right. He works full time. He's getting his private pilot's license, which he's almost done. He volunteers at the church. He's going to be looking at how he's so freaking busy. If he makes 10 flights a year, that's probably more than what he makes. Um, Did we just lose him? No, he's
I mean, for example, I flew an 18-meter wing this weekend, and I generally fly a 23-meter wing. The difference in weight shift in a turn was the difference between a tip collapse or not. Because the wing is so sturdy that if you don't do all of the coordinated maneuvers together, the wing really doesn't want to play along. So that's that, that goes back to that Corvette analogy. It's like learning all of the, the, the finite maneuvers to the point where you can take basically any wing and say, I may not be you know doing barrel rolls and things, but I can confidently launch, fly, and land this wing without it being scary at all. Where basically every single landing is to your feet with the exception of having like the wind switch direction and land in rotor and get dumped or something that's, you know, you should shoot a different seat. Certain things we can't control, but when I say 100% confidence, it's any time I go to launch, I can put 100% faith that I will commit and exceed the launch. And then anytime I come in for a landing, it's where I want to be on my feet without damaging the motor, the wing, or anyone else. So if I you do those that. basic things, then I think you're in the starting point of where you would want to start looking. Okay? I don't think that's what makes you ready. I think that's the starting point. I've had a lot of people, Kevin, don't even consider what I could do to push myself to the next level, as you just described. Like, I would never even think about that. Like, you know, just landing on the spot. Well, that's kind of pretty easy. But, you know, as far as, like, well, maybe I'll do big ears today. Or maybe I'll just, I'll do a whole 360-degree turn each way without touching my thought. So, I think it's a great idea if someone were to put together a list of things to try and practice as a beginner. You know, it's funny you say that. Sean and I are working on that right now. We're calling it paramore games. So different maneuvers and different activities you can do with a paraglider to build skills. Terrific. Hey, David, you absolutely made my day. I don't know if you guys uh, saw it. Did he stand up? That's like... exposed to the 
wind completely collapse the whole leading edge. Then you stand on speed bar. That gives you your absolute greatest descent on figures. And I've been in a thermal in that condition and been going up. Holy cow. I can't even repeat all that. That's where you get to a point where people <laughs> talk about doing beeline stalls. <laughs> you get under clouds and you get into cloud suck and you're going up at 7 to 12 meters a second and big years doesn't uh, stop or arrest your ascent, then you have to go into a beeline stall. And that's a pretty benign stall as well. It's just it's shocking on the wing when you open the wing back up. Yes, I highly underestimated paramotoring. I, uh, I got I got a motor for, for free flight. I actually fly a Buzz Z5, thinking that was the only thing I wanted to do. I didn't want a motor. Man, after the past few weekends, I am I'm looking to get a motor wing now. It's just it's amazing what you can do. And you're always you're always with paragliding. You're always trying to find you know that one perfect day where. You can make it four hours to the mountain, and with the motor, it's like your chances of having that perfect day are, are and getting it, getting the perfect flight are much greater, and I'm, I'm loving it. Oh yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, I I've been free flying for a really long time, and I love going free flying. Those the the joy of no noise and just boating around above the ocean is fantastic. That but that was just say. The ability to drive five minutes from the house, fire up my motor, fly for an hour, land, come home, drink coffee, and do all of it before the kids are awake, make them breakfast, and start my day, it's it's perfect, because then I don't take away from my family. The hard part with paragliding is I leave way before the sun is up, drive all the way three, four hours to get to a flying site, then sit and wait all day for hopefully flyable conditions. And then have the same three or four hour drive back home to where I don't get home till 10. And, and as a student, those conditions are even even less. So, I mean, you might drive four hours and, you know, you got a decent chance of flying as a student. You know, our instructor wants it to be perfect. Well, I mean, like, as an example, I, I, I went to the coast this weekend and I had a friend of mine that actually several of them in the paragliding club that went to one of the coastal flying sites this weekend. Out of the comparison between me flying my motor and them going to the coastal flying sites, my buddy got three flights in for a little over three and a half hours. I flew nine flights for a little over 12 hours. Hmm. So, I mean, just time in the sky. I mean, the only time you land is when want to put more fuel in or you want to take a break or you want something to drink or whatever and then with it being on being a beach the, the beach has that like epic beautiful joy of being able to do touch and goes anywhere and everywhere you feel like doing them because the wind is so perfect you don't ever consider hiding the wing to be a challenge all you gotta do is just stand there and hold it above your head add throttle lift your knees and take off again so you get that whole rock star vibe of cruising into a crowd, landing on the beach right on the point, kind of kiting the wind for a minute, look at everyone taking pictures and stuff, and then you just get the knee and fly back off. You're like, that's right, you guys all wish you were Batman right now. <laughs> <laughs> at the same so, time, whenever you have a good day in free flight, it's, you know, for me, that's hard to beat. Whenever you do get those right conditions, you do get the right ridge soaring, you're able to stay up for a, you know, as long as you want, and do what you want. 
that's nice, but it's hard to get to that point where you have the skill to do that without a mode. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I tell everybody, in my opinion, that I think everybody should start out with a P2 course. If they want to be a paramotor pilot, I think they should go through a P2 course, become a basic para, paragliding pilot, understand basic thermals, understand basic coastal soaring, get the mechanics of kiting all sorted out, and then when you go to transition to a paramotor, you've already got the kiting facilitated, and all you're doing is adding a motor to your back and transitioning to the feel of a motor on And then if you decide that you want to go fly at, in the afternoon and you take off at, say, 5 o'clock and it's still a little bit thermic, it's not something that you go, oh, shit, I'm scared, this might get me hurt. You just go, oh, okay, turn left, core, go up, free lift. So for me, I watched uh, Paramoto Crazy uh, Dave's there's video um, for his SIB, and the first, the first probably thirty to forty seconds of watching him fly, I was wondering because I've never flown without a motor on my back. He's being pulled up, and he's free flying. It never dawned on me how quiet it must be without having a damn motor in your back. I'll probably got the <laughs> it's like just the. It's just the wind noise through the line. Yeah. And yeah. I was just like, oh, yeah. I never thought about that. So it's it was really nice was... whenever you whenever you pull up on, on like deer or elk or almost landed on a cow at one point. They I mean, they can't hear you. They can't see you. You can you can especially when you're rich soaring, if you come up on animals, I mean you can just watch them and they have no clue you're there. Shane, I saw that video that was one of the best videos I've seen on YouTube. <laughs> 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 hey, no, seriously, I would I would love to sit down and have a beer with you and talk to you about that day. It to me is so fascinating. You did an excellent job on videotaping. You did an excellent job of editing. And no, seriously, I I loved I've watched that thing since I've talked to you and told you I've seen it twenty seven times. I almost doubled that since then, just so you know, because I show everybody. I'm like, this is what I'm going to go do. I'm going to go do a coconut. No, I'm not. Dan, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to make David's head, like, so big. He's going to be like, yeah, yeah, I'm all that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. As long as he doesn't stand up, we'll all yeah. be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my 
God, why can I not get rid of the stupid? Oh, all right. Never mind. Just everybody, just continue without me. I'm fine. Oh, okay. All right. Moving on. Okay. I got the thing I want you to use something real quick. Can you no. grab? Put, put that down in your hand. And I want you to just grab each one of the top part of your ear with both hands. I can't. No, grab with both hands. Grab your ears and just pull. <laughs> just try something. Okay. I'm going to teach you that. Now pull them away from your head. Before before going over to that SIV course. I was a chicken for like the first four months and was always flying with uh, someone. And uh, I think it was after I did a um, an interview with uh, Kyle O and he told me, you got to branch out. You, you got to go out there and do it. Then I finally go out there and, and, and try to fly by myself. But I stayed in the LZ. But uh, Kyle helped kick me out there after about, you know, four months of being chicken. Awesome. I'm going to be... 
I'm gonna pull Kevin to be a little bit long-winded here. So when I was in school, I was when it comes to kayaking, the first three, well actually the first four days, I was horrible. I, for the life of me, could not get the, the wing to stay up. I just couldn't understand it. Then we did the toe on day three. I did I did great on that. And then we on day four we uh, put the motors on our back and I took I took off and I didn't have a I didn't have to reset up abort a launch um, until I got into like thirty or thirty one flights. And before I'm telling you I could not keep the wing up in the air for nothing tightening it. Then you put a motor on my back. I was checking the wing. It wasn't just, you know, throttle and go. It was controlled. Um, even Lauren was like, where's this guy been the entire time we've been here? Because this isn't that guy. Well, the one guy that was the number one, I call him the, the A student, the, the best student of the class for kiting. Yeah, he's got five or six hours on his motor right now because he won't fly. He can't fly. Wow. I don't, he, he just, he froze up when he got home because he didn't have anybody to fly with. So he actually, we met up in this past uh, camping trip at, at Blue Springs. Um, he and I flew together and uh, he's back into it now. He's, uh, I think, got 11 hours or 12 hours since then. So I'm glad he, glad he uh, decided to start flying. He's like, I fly the beach and there's a hundred people watching me every time I go to take off with cameras and stuff. I'm like, there's not a hundred people at the beach at six o'clock in the morning. Trust me. He's like, Oh yeah, that's true. So <laughs> he's been flying a lot more in the mornings and, and not having so much pressure. So it's been pretty good. Well, here, here's a, here's a quick story for you, Tommy. Um, he, he told me yesterday when we went out flying or the day before that, uh, he saw me the first day, actually, Tommy, go ahead and tell him about that, uh, that you saw me kiting and you wondered, Man, what's what's up with this guy? Tell tell yeah, that story. We were, I was I was sitting there watching him fly around yesterday, and he's he comes through at, at right at dark. He's got his lights on, and he's he's foot dragging, and he's coming up, and I'm just like, man. I remember whenever I first met this guy, I met him at the training hill, and he couldn't even get his wing inflated to get off the hill. Right. Next thing I know, I turn around, I, I see this guy doing foot drags and stuff, and I'm like, man, it just it made me. It made me more mad at myself than <laughs> that I haven't chased it as hard as he has. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 super weird to be in. I've, I've been doing this with with mountain flight and, and motor flight now for uh, three years, and I've got you know quite a few mountain flights. But as far as motor flight, it, it it was intimidating by myself, and it still is. Not knowing where the winds are. If you know, I go to the mountain. There's always an instructor there to tell you the uh, winds are good, the uppers are good. You know, just seeing Sean kind of jump out on his own and, and still kind of makes me mad. I feel like I need to be better than him. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, I'm up at a training hill, and now all of a sudden, you know, I'm watching a foot drag half, and it's like, dang it. Well, that's because that's because you know I I I've, I've been going out and flying like every morning and every night as much as I can, and I. I, I get about at least three, if I get a morning flight, four hours a day flying. 
So wow. every every two weeks, I'm having to do a thirty hour maintenance on my uh, on my motor. I've got a question for everybody, and I'm probably going to, ooh, I just got a bug in my head. And I'm, I'm running out of light here, so I probably won't be too much longer. So here's the question for everybody. Linda, you can go first if you want. All right, so the question is, <laughs> okay, go ahead. at what point, maybe Sean should go first. Yeah. At what point did you get to the confidence level you had hoped to get? How many, how many, basically, how many flights did it take for you to get to the level of confidence that you'd hope to get? And if you haven't gotten to that confidence level yet that you hope to be at, when do you think you'll get there, or what, what will it take to get there? It took the SIV course to be 100% confident where I am now that I want, that, that I don't mind, foot, I foot drag pulling big ears. So I, if, wow. if it wasn't for the, the SIV course, I'd still be flying at uh, 1,000 feet and looking for LZs and just going, okay, be good, be good, don't do don't do too much. But, yeah, SIV course. It's amazing. For three years. I get less confident every day. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, David Carroll? You David. You established the fact that you don't fly, that you live in a place that doesn't let you fly, you just own gears and you can pick up. Lies. Lies. Just in case y'all didn't know, David Carroll is the guy that I got my very first motor from. It's a lot of fun. I bet it was. Anyone else? Anytime you fly thermals, it's always fun. I'm going to go ahead and say I'm not at the confident level that I want to be at. Um, First of all, the uh, poker run really... um, I don't want to say it humbled me, but it made me understand just how much uh, I don't like when my wing does things above my head. <laughs> and I don't think it should be delivered. I don't know if it spooked me. I just wasn't comfortable with it. It kind of just makes me, un- at, at, I want to say uneased. I mean, you can hear me in the video. I'm not, like, scared. or like, I'm just like, I just don't like this doing the thing it's doing. So I think after this SIV course, I will have the confidence. I'm hoping to have the confidence. Yeah. Um, and I want to know what – see, I don't know what my wing can do. That's the thing. I don't know how much of it shooting forward or backwards can it take before it does something stupid, and then I have to correct it or what have you. So uh, I think – A lot. So, yeah, so once, once, yeah. once I get to the point – I go to this SIV course and, and they're like, do this, and I can barely get the wing to collapse. I'm going to be like, the next time I'm in the, the wing doing the little thing above me, I'll be like, yeah, whatever, dude. I'm not even looking up at you because you're not doing nothing. And that's so that's. I want to ask this of Sean. Sean and I both been through this SIV course a couple weeks apart. Sean, um, when I hit a bump now and it catches me off guard, for a moment, I'll have a like, whoa, what was that? Then I'll start laughing, like, I got this, there's no problem. What's your experience for you now, once, now that you've been through the SIV? Um, now, um, I cannot find enough rowdy air to even, you know, startle me. Um, I, I get up high and I'm bouncing around and, I, I, I mean, it, it's just, after you find out, after you, you know, you're, you're in the SIV course, and you pull brake as far as you can, and you see it stall. And then as soon as you go like this, it goes whoo and inflates. You pull B, you're, you pull B's all the way down as hard as you can, you know, trying to make it collapse. And as soon as you let it go, it goes whoo, opens up. I mean, you try to collapse this wing 
and it doesn't want to collapse. You, you, you do crazy things at the SIV course, and you see the wing go way in front of you and way back and off to the side and stuff, and you're still in the air, and it still feels solid, and you're wondering, hmm, I think next time I'm going to try an impotent tumble because it just feels so solid. <laughs> I, I it's almost like you've been through the... You've been through the worst of it. It can't get any worse than this, right? <laughs> it, it, and also, too, when you when you finally pull a reserve and you realize you pull a reserve and I don't even feel a difference, you, you know that when you're just flying normal, the the possibilities of you, uh, something happening where it just collapses and you fall is impossible. I mean, it just really yeah. is. You just feel so solid up there. Yeah. Question for Dave. Every time I've been flying, I want to go up there and burn something new. I have yet killed my engines at 500 feet or more and take it back down to the ground and do a dead stick. Um, every, you know, there's so many goals I've set for myself. I thought, I've got less than 30 hours now, flight time. I figured when I got to 50, I might know it all. But I know that it's so far from true. I'm going to continue learning. Like, Easy answer. Before. Just buy a flat top for me. You'll get all the engine outs you can handle. <laughs> <laughs> I only had one engine out, but it's a starter. No, honestly, though, to, add, to answer Dave's question, I, I think, you know, the, the, the honest answer is two parts. It's a philosophical answer and then it's a, a real answer. And, you know, the real answer is I, I don't think I'll ever get to the point where I'm as comfortable as I want to be in my own head. Um, and then I, I think, you know, the, the philosophical side of that is that there's so much information and so much talent and so much skill that goes into this that even the best acro pilots in the world will tell you that they don't know anything. So I, I think it's just one of those self-recognize self that you're happy where you are and that there's always something more to go. There you go. Hey, David. David, I have to say something really funny. Okay, because it's getting so dark, you know, you see your face in there. You're like, you're like, what? You're like that guy from the movie The Shining. Johnny. I'm about to say I can feel it coming in the air tonight. You're like, spooky. She said the darker it gets, she said the darker it gets, the better you look. I don't know. I'm going to go get some clothes on. I'm getting kind of cold. Oh, that's so funny. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks for letting me join you. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. See you later, Dave. Thank you. Bye. I have to say that. I just can't. Poor Dave is supposed to be taking a sabbatical from YouTube, and he just can't. He just can't. <laughs> hey, shout out to my boy Derek Trout in the chat tonight. How you doing, buddy? There you go. Oh, Derek. Derek's here? Yeah, I was in class with him. Uh -huh. Derek, oh, secretly, secretly, though, it's not Derek. It's actually his wife. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> they're both in here. Oh, Derek, come on. They're, 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 yeah, they're the the power couple because they both fly. Yeah. Don't find the shit. Derek I was, was able to find himself. Yeah, that's what's up, man. Derek's got it made. Wife that's Derek, 
there there comes up a unicorn. I do not want my wife to fly with, with me or around me or near me or no, she can stay on the ground. I can still hear her yelling from me. I, I'm, gonna get my, I'm gonna get my tandem exemption and my very first passenger is gonna be my daughter. Yeah. Yeah. She wants to go fly with me so bad every single time. Dad, 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 dad. But not yet. Uh, you gotta have a license there to fly, to fly somebody on the tandem, right? Yeah. yeah so basically, like, 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 like I tell people, I said, you know, I've, I've had multiple reportings with the FAA, and I'm, I'm on a first name basis with my local inspector now. Um, the, the the bottom line that is pretty simple is they don't give two craps about you as a pilot as a person. Their main thing is the care, concern, and consideration about the bystanders on the ground around So if you want to go take a rag and a weed whacker and go send yourself off some pier, that's your business. They don't give a shit about that. But the minute you take a the minute you take a passenger, you then put somebody else at risk. And that's where they say, We want to know that you are confident and competent enough to not hurt that person, let alone get them killed. So that's why yeah. you can get a student pilot's license at you know just seven hours, and you can go fly solo and cruise around the country in an airplane solo at just as little as seven hours. But you can't take anyone with you. The whole point of taking someone with you is you have to be able to show that competence that says, I'm a qualified certified pilot. And it has nothing to do with being able to operate the airplane. It's being able to operate the airplane in a safe way for people around you and the passengers. So that's why we get to play in this 103 category and not have to have the regulations like Light Sport does or any of the other regulations because it's one person going up, one person getting hurt, and they don't care. <laughs> like I hate to say it, but they just they, they really don't care. Wow, I, I was watching some videos today about uh, parachuting and things that went bad. <laughs> that people actually took your lives, but you're pretty stuff. It was like things can go wrong. Linda, like, Linda was watching parachuting videos. She fell for I'm it. Not, yeah, I'm <laughs> she I'm fell not. for it. <laughs> working on it now. 
So, so you need, what, you need to have like, what, a, a PPG3? He said, Linda, you need to go on YouTube and subscribe to the Friday Freakout. That is a really good um, YouTube channel that will show you all kind of people freaking out, doing all kind of weird stuff. And, uh, okay. It's basically yep. a bunch of skydiving tales, line-up or malfunctions, double malfunctions, guys that are not paying attention to altitude awareness. And right. You have a, right. a skydiving, you have an AAD, it's an automatic activation device. It fires off okay. at 1,800 feet. You get knocked out, you know, jumping out of the plane. If you fall below that altitude, not paying attention to altitude awareness, and you're holding on to somebody, and you're both looking each other in the face, both your canopies fire off at 1,800 feet. It's oh. videos like that. Oh. <laughs> what, 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 what is it? What is it called? It's, a, it's just stupid stuff, honestly. Yeah. It's stupid mistakes. That's the one thing about skydiving and paragliding that I've... Both of these sports seem to be extremely, extremely safe. You're talking about... You know, I've, got, I've got a bunch of motorcycles myself. I do tons of track dates. On a track, it can be as safe as I want until I loop it out, you know, popping a clutch and third gear and just loop it out. You know, skydiving is the same way. It's 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 a super safe sport, but you do have people that are having so much fun, you know, turning turning formations that they don't pay attention to altitude. And there you go. You, you Next thing you know, your canopies are open, both of them, and they're your backup parachute. They're your reserve parachute. So it's not like you can cut them away. Now you're entangled with your buddy looking at each other. It's just, it, I what, try not to look at Friday Freak Out or yeah, I was just going to say, man, I don't the ground suck, man. It's basically what it is. You know, it's, it's looking at people that made stupid mistakes. As long as you might be decent to you, you don't have to worry about that. Stuff. I don't talk about anybody that makes stupid mistakes, like running the bill and hanging or anything. <laughs> hey, seriously. <laughs> hey, Bill, 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 my favorite TV show, Bill Army. I watch it every day. I'm hoping I'm seeing my video on there one day. I'm pretty sure I made the Tucker Got Crash review um, series. Well, I knew right away that you were going to make the Tucker uh, Crash review. I could have told you that right away. That video is great. I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to say. Brian, I'm pretty sure he's not going to hold back on me any. Brian, you should have changed the name of your, your, uh, your video to Hey... <laughs> I was convinced uh, you were just training to kick an elephant. I watched that video. I've watched that video several times. Every time I see that Bill Hake on, I'm like, son of a gun. I, I know what's going to happen, but I still got to watch. And. God, dude. I see, I see your foot fall back, and I'm like, oh, 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 oh I can mm. feel it. That's nothing. I hate to run away at the precipice of the show, but I got to go take care of the children. Uh, I'll get the hell out of here. Like, <laughs> I have to say, guys, I got I to load up stuff, get ready for work tomorrow. But it's just hey. super nice meeting all y'all. You guys want to see something really funny? Watch this. I don't know. I don't know. Hey Alexa, turn off the light. <laughs> <laughs> hey Kevin, okay, wait a minute. I really appreciate everything, dude. Just listening to you last week and this week um, makes me realize how much more I don't know. You obviously know your stuff when it comes to paramotors, and um, I look forward to, to learning from you, brother. 
But like I tell everybody, man, this this is a this is a lifelong marathon of the sport. And you know, I started this in 2002, and even before that, because I was raised in an aviation family. My grandpa was a pilot. My dad was a pilot. I honestly don't remember life without having propellers, pistons, seats, radios. You know, talking airspace, talking weather. You know, understanding who's what's and why's and as it all relates to aviation, it all relates, you know, the same to paramotor and paragliding. So, it, you know, I, I get to say that I lived a very blessed childhood that a lot of people don't get to do. I, I make the joke all the time that six grand for a motor and four grand for a wing. I wonder why more inner city kids aren't doing this. But, you know, it, it really is a blessing. And I, I take it for granted some days. And honestly, I get super 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 anxiety when i see the flying videos that everybody posts in florida that i don't get to go to and i sit here and stew because it's you know for me it's not even the flying i can go fly right here at the airport it's the fellowship being around the other people that talk flying, being, being around yeah. other people that that share that that compassion and emotion for helping one another because is, as you guys know or will find out, you know, when you have motor problem or, or a pop or, you know, take a line in your wing or something, there's somebody there on the field that will run over and say, dude, fly my prop. Or I got another wing in the car and we'll get that one sent off. Or, you know, this is who to order lines from. I get them, you know, 24 hours, no big deal. And it reassures you that we all make mistakes because how would that guy know where to get lines if he didn't? How would that guy know how to get a wing repaired if he didn't yeah. kind of a thing? So it goes back to that seeking advice from people that have been there before you, whether it's training or whether it's gear or just general flying advice. We, we always have something to contribute, whether we've been flying for two weeks or for 20 years, because we all learn at a different rate. We all learn different information. And if we can share that together and do it in a humble way where nobody has to feel like they know something more than another guy. I mean, facts are facts and opinions are opinions, but as long as we can sit and get along and share that together, we all grow together. And I think that's the most important part of this sport, more so than the flying. Like so, Kevin. The flying is easy. It's the so, Kevin, if you're not worried about flying, you're just worried about hanging out here in Florida. I mean, a plane ticket isn't that expensive. i got plenty of room for you. I'm just saying. <laughs> there you hey, go. There you go the most important aspects camaraderie yes um, what's the, the big thing between self-training and not self-training one of the things i forgot to bring up was just when i went through the program aviator going down there it was eight of us training and a dozen instructors and i'm friends with every one of them now and uh tons of other people after that i mean just i've become part of a new family when i learned to fly paramotors Yep. And everybody is just so supportive and positive. And, and uh, you know, it's a great thing to be part of. You know, not just flying the paramotors, but the, the family and the camaraderie that you get is incredible. It's interesting. I don't, I don't even like, I don't even fly there, okay? But I've been, like, for over a year now, year and a half, I just, you know, start following everybody and Robert's show and all that. And you guys. I'm learning so much from everybody, and yeah, you guys are all like family to me. And well, it's so it's so interesting to me so because fun. It, it is I so come, fun. 
It is. But it's so Love interesting it. because I come from the paragliding side of the sport, right? And in the paragliding side, it's kind of the same, but then again, not at all. Paragliding, it, to me, reminds me a lot more of, like, the high school click. There's those acro guys. No, I mean, seriously, though. Like, there's the acro pilots, and they hang out in the acro crew. And then there's the XC pilots, and they hang out in the XC crew. And then there's the guys who come four, four or five times a year, and, and they kind of stand around and hum-hum about the weather and the windsock and things. And it, it's not like one combined community group of paragliders on the hill. It's like five or six little mini-groups that all come together. And within those mini-groups, everyone knows each other, and everyone's kind of friends. But these four or five guys will all call each other to go fly, but they won't call you. These four or five guys will call you to go fly every time, but they won't call them. It, it just creates these small little cliquish groups within the paragliding community that when you're all together and you're all flying at the same site, everyone has a blast. But the minute you get apart, it kind of reminds me of that, that backyard barbecue where you shake hands with that acquaintance and you say, why don't we hang out more? And the minute it turns into Monday, you just don't call them or don't make a date. It just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't come to fruition. It's, it's just a different, different environment. The paramotor group, if you're a, a, I call it a cool person. If you're, you know, if you come at it from a humble point of view and you don't try to get too big for your britches too fast, then everybody just kind of accepts you. And if you're a POS who wants to talk smack, talk trash, um, you know, give advice that's beyond your skill level or that's something that's just plain old stupid, you get weeded out really fast. And this this group we have, it's hilarious how genuine everyone is. POS, POS. is that pilot of success? Pilot steamer. <laughs> Actually, I've been lying the whole time, man. You know, I've never flown in my life. Not really. This is just I didn't take this picture. I didn't take this picture in Class G Cloud. No, I didn't do that at all. That's just secret. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that G is. Don't even know what that means. <laughs> you live in Florida. It's all Charlie. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Except for the Melbourne Airport. But this is my daughter. Hi, daughter. Hello. You can't, you can't oh. hear them. They just said that you're, you look like your dad and you're beautiful. Oh. I, yeah, I, was, I was just going to say, she was really happy to our mom to your daughter. Oh. She got my hair for sure. So my, 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 daughter, my daughter came and told me a fun dad joke the other day. Uh -oh. She says, she says, she says, Dad, you want to know something funny? And I said, what's that? She goes, did you know that diarrhea is hereditary? And I said, is it? She goes, yeah, it runs in your jeans. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter told me a joke the other day, too. You ready for it? Okay. She said, what's the difference between a, a joke and, and, a, and two dicks? Oh, she no. can't take a joke. She can't take a joke. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, this is the lightning of the show now. I don't think your daughter's going to do that joke. Wow. Uh, I almost don't believe you. Oh, uh, she's freaking hilarious. Uh, I love 
I love the, the silly old dad jokes. Like, what kind of yeah. bee has no? Uh, yeah, boobies. <laughs> I can touch uh, them jokes all day long. My daughter is like, she's a spitting image of me, except for she has boobies. That's it. <laughs> she's hilarious. Dude. She kills me. I think, I, I, she... I think we're losing everybody in the chat. <laughs> yeah. I think we just got three more viewers. Uh, uh, I'm back here. Oh, oh, 16. Watch it. Really? That's awesome. I know. Everybody all right, guys. Well, honestly, right I, I can sit here all day and crack jokes, but I need to go make dinner. My wife's going to get mad at me, so I got to yeah, go. Yeah, you know, I'd be in the doghouse. All right. Well, I, I'm already in the doghouse. I'm sitting in a, a gas-filled garage sniffing fumes. That's why I'm laughing. Not Shane's jokes. That's funny. I disagree. <laughs> Uh, All right, Kevin. Have a good night, man. Yeah, Kevin. Right, appreciate guys. it. You guys take care. Be safe. All right. <laughs> With all those dad jokes, I think what we'll do is we'll cut the live stream, but you guys can stay in uh, Zoom all you want to. We're going to go ahead and cut the uh, audio stream so everyone that has been listening to this but not watching, uh, we appreciate you. If you ever want to come over here and actually see what we're doing, we're over here at clearproptv.com. Um, if you want to just listen to us because you don't want to look at our cute faces, you can go to paratalk.org and subscribe to our iTunes or our audio podcast only. If you want to come over and check out the coolest place that looks like Facebook, but it's just for pilots, go over to iloveppg.org. And of course, go over to iloveppg.com. Check out our merch. Have a wonderful day, everyone. We appreciate you coming. And we'll see you next Monday at 7 Central, 8, eight Eastern. <laughs> I had to think about that one. Real quick, there's 17 thumbs up, just so you know. That's 17 awesome. thumbs up. All right. That's awesome. Absolutely. So this was episode number 22, self-training, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Thank you very much, y'all.